This episode of The Ship Show is sponsored by PagerDuty. PagerDuty decreases alerting noise for operations and developers and ensures the right engineers are alerted at the right time. PagerDuty helps you identify common problems, allowing you to make system improvements proactively so you don't have to be woken up at 2 a.m., something nobody likes. Ship Show listeners can sign up for a free 14-day trial at www.pagerduty.com slash theshipshow. To ship, of course. It is once again, finally once again, uh, time for the ship show where we discuss build engineering, DevOps, release management, and everything in between. I am your host, as always, Paul Reed, Silver Build Eng on the Teacher Sphere and at SilverBuildEngineer.com. And I think we have like the OG crew tonight. Who's with me? It's EJ Saramella, Saramella on Twitter. And it's Yusuf uh, at BuildScientist on Twitter and BuildScientist.com. How are you all doing? Awesome. Oh, it's it's been uh it's been a, a couple weeks or more than a couple weeks. A few uh, weeks. It's, yeah. it's been longer for me. It's but, been yeah. an eternity since I've heard you guys' voice this way. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Well, uh, tonight we're going to be doing a review of Monitorama. Uh, what happened, uh, well, we'll be talking about the various talks and the pulse of the conference, as well as talking about the socks that we got uh, that were the, the, they don't do t-shirts, they do socks, which is kind of cool. But first up, as we always do, news and views. First thing up tonight we have is uh, Let's Encrypt, a free certificate authority is going to start issuing the first certificates next month. Have you two heard about the Let's Encrypt campaign? Yeah, it's... Yeah. it's- passed by but man this is the kind of thing like i want to stand back and watch everyone adopt 1.0 and let's talk again soon <laughs> well, it's, it, I, i'm just laughing because it's like uh everybody will forget to renew their certs every year just like I'm now now that they are offered freely it'll be interesting to see how that I, i'm actually wondering if this is going to replace self-signed certificates at the very least i hope so i mean yeah it's interesting i mean I, i'm on the fence about this right because http2 um, and and at velocity they were talking a lot about uh, i went to a presentation a talk on http2 and they were talking about how like you basically need ssl to do http2 so this was sort of the part of that but part of me is like i don't like that you have to talk to a centralized certificate authority now to use, you know, Mozilla was talking about deprecating some features or trying to deprecate HTTP 1.1. And and I'm not a huge libertarian or anything, but the libertarian in me kind of doesn't like the fact that you now have to talk to a central authority to put a site up on the internet. And it brings up a bunch of weird questions. Like if I got a certificate and I just posted the private key so everybody could use it, would it get revoked? I don't know that anybody's really thought about some of those things, but see what, what you're saying, EJ, I guess we'll have to find out, see what happens. Um, and they've been talking a lot about Let's, Let's Encrypt. I guess it's uh, Mozilla, the EFF, and Cisco are part of the public benefit group that is uh, putting this together. So, Is this the kind of thing where you're just going to watch security researchers just troll everyone that's used this? And just... I don't know. I mean, that would be an interesting hack or, or a, attack vector, right? Kind of I don't know. trying to attack that. I, I mean, I, I presume that they have got security people working for them that are, are going to be looking at stuff like that but interesting question but at least there is now some way to kind of the one thing i i thought was very interesting um the last uh, line of this article was 
Let's Encrypt aims to remove the obstacles by eliminating the related costs. So they're talking about the cost of the SSL cert and automating the entire process. So I guess they took the automation to heart there. And I'll be interested to see how they're going to automate all of that. If they're looking at who is records and sending email there or, or what's going on. So anyway, will be interesting. Next up, we have why Go is doomed to succeed. Uh, I saw this on the Twitter sphere a couple days ago, and then it was sitting in a browser tab. Um, very interesting post about Go. I actually thought a lot about Brian Berry because uh, I remember us having a conversation a number of years ago, actually, about Go. Did you see, did you have a chance to read this article, see kind of the arguments that he makes? I did. I did. A lot, a lot of positive points. I think the idea is, is that Go as a community and as a language kind of gets out of the way of a developer and programmer and just kind of, it's the, I can do whatever I want to do. And this is, this is the way the, the get stuff done type of, type of a programming language. Yeah. I liked, I think my favorite paragraph from the post, I'll read it. If what frustrates you is pulling your hair, if what frustrates you is pulling your hair out, trying to understand how something works after five very different people worked on it at different points in time, or even if it's something you're yourself in the past, then Go is for you. If what frustrates you is not being able to use closure script code tricks, then Go is not what you're looking for. And my favorite part, if what frustrates you is not being able to distinguish yourself as smarter than the rest, then Go is definitely not for you. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's, I, I think he makes the point that Google designed it so that many people could work on large scale software systems. And when you engineer for that, you're going to, you're going to have, you know, certain features that don't exist. But the point is that's on purpose. And I think it's just interesting because Go has uh, um, cropped up in a lot of weird places uh, in the, you know, DevOps slash ops space. HashiCorp is a Go fan. Yeah. Um, a lot of their stuff's in Go. It's the, it's the pragmatist's uh, programming language, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm all for that. I, that's what I think one of the things that, you know, made me, end up hating Perl as <laughs> I wrote a bunch of Perl that even I couldn't read, you know, six months later. What was it? Write once, read never Perl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the inverse of a wiki page. I, I thought that I thought that was so awesome because I, I'm pretty sure everyone that's either listening or talking on this thing has been at the receiving end of a code review. And yeah, it's it's either like a style thing or truly trying to somebody's trying to put a, a leg up on you and you realize like it's efficient but in so much as like i don't know an insignificant amount of efficiency gain and, and to remove all of those kinds of things and just worry about making product yeah that's, that's yeah. awesome what's interesting too that it comes uh, go comes with a formatting tool right so so it kind of, sort of yeah. like it expects all no of more, the code no format. more discussion yeah no more yeah, discussion yeah. around it and they were saying a lot of tools the the delivery pipelines they actually put in, you know, however you check in, in, like the CI system will actually run it through the linter and the formatter. And if it doesn't meet the standard, it'll kick it out based on that, which I'm sure would annoy certain people, but I think that's great. I think that that really helps readability later. Next up, we have uh, an article about GitHub seeking evaluation of 2 billion, that's billion with a B dollars. Did you see this? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like, what? I saw it, but you know, I made an off-color comment earlier. I won't repeat, but I'm not surprised anymore. Well, I think uh, it's interesting because I think you know the point that they make is GitHub is part social network almost, yeah. and part um, you know code, open source like code site. I think that was interesting. The other thing it sort of reminded me of was. Stack Exchange and how, you know, Stack Exchange is a, is a big part of the open source community. But one of their big plays early on was to get 
to have that facilitate recruiting and do a stack exchange jobs. That's how they were going to make money was the kind of facilitation of recruiting. So it makes me wonder if the good people at GitHub and their board and investors are trying to make some sort of play that way, just recognizing the fact that, you know, and this makes use of grimace every time everybody, uh, anyone says it, it, the whole bit about look at, look at my GitHub page and, and that's how you interview people. Oh, oh. Yeah. But I, yeah, $2 billion. This, this is also that, uh, what's that line from the social network? You know, what's, what, what $1 million isn't cool, a billion dollars is cool or whatever. Uh, something something along that lines. But supposedly Sean Parker, I think. Uh, yeah. 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 But it's, I mean, it's interesting. You know, the article refers uh, a little bit to some of the issues that they had run into the co-founder leaving Tom, Tom Preston Warner leaving about the harassment and discrimination accusations, stuff like that. So certainly plenty of Silicon Valley drama. And there always is when we're talking about billions of dollars. And last up, uh, Yusuf, you pointed us to this post, which I had also had in the tab, but I have not read because it is somewhat epic. The uh, chip Paul, away at it. Paul Ford telling us what is code. What's that post about? Yeah, I'd say it's what I like to call the what could possibly be the expose on programming, software development, just the software industry of the decade, possibly, maybe even uh, maybe even the 21st century. Who knows? That, um, so. That, that's the perfect summary. It is an expose. That is exactly yeah. what it is. It's uh, the entire article is about, I think, a little under 40,000 words. So yeah, yeah, at the end, I just saw that at the end, it says certificate of completion. You read 38,000 words. Right, right. So Paul Ford, who's a programmer slash journalist, goes through and sort of tries to explain to the everyday person that has maybe heard about software and code and all this stuff about what code really is. And he kind of fuses some elementary explanations of uh, logic gates and a sort of side story where you have your sort of small software shop and there's a scrum master and there's a CTO and the owner of the company and you know how do they make software and all that stuff and it, it I I read the whole thing it took me a couple hours to uh, to go through it but I, I thought it was a great piece on just giving the sort of the everyday person who doesn't really know very much about software other than using it a, a sort of inner view or inner look at software development and the, the the people that are involved in making um, software come to life and uh, the politics and all, all the other stuff that's that's involved in, in making software in general yeah i like that there's a section of why are programmers so angry <laughs> apparently it's on github too so you can actually submit uh, yeah that, that was pretty that was pretty neat the uh paul ford the the, the author the writer decided to put the whole thing up on uh on github which is pretty awesome because he's well, got I, some code snippets and yeah i think he has code snippets and just everything that made up the article there's like a little robot that tutorial type of uh like a clippy like a microsoft word clippy type thing um in the article that uh, explains how things in a computer works did yeah. you wait, wait before you move on from that? There's a, I'm not sure if everyone knows this, and maybe they do. But if you go to that page and you just start swiping to scroll through the article and, or like page down, there's one that appears and heckles you because it knows that you're not reading. So he was pretty thorough. Oh, wow! Yeah, like, no, I didn't notice that. Yeah, that, uh, that is pretty cool. <laughs> why are coders so angry? With one section, that was the one I was looking for, and then the other one there was uh. Why why are programmers so intense about languages? To the, our previous uh, story on Go. Yeah, That's really funny, though, the, that it doesn't. And there's a section on equipment. I see standing desks, 
They're talking about standing desks and MacBooks. And what was this the time? The time you attended the email address validation meeting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to have to prioritize reading it. Yeah. No, that's a great. It's I, I wouldn't even call it an article. The, the, the best description that I can come up with is it's an expose of what software development is like in the 21st century. They yeah. even mentioned Soylent. Have you guys seen this crap? No. <laughs> what is oh, that? Oh my god, really? Yeah, I don't know who discovered it in our office, but uh, it was a, a, a developer young enough to not remember, like, Soylent Green is people, right? And there's this nutrition drink. It's it's effectively if you want a meal but don't feel like eating anything, you just suck down this shake garbage, and it's got, like, all the vitamins and minerals you need. It's like a meal replacement, effectively. I love that this has yeah an animated GIF of Steve Ballmer Developers, 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 developers. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Yes, we'll check that out. Next up, Monotorama 2015. Welcome back to the ship show. Uh, we are taping live from Monotorama, and there's a bunch of us here. This is like a little randomly ship show reunion, like in, in real life. In real life. I know who all is here. Seth is here. Chase Boss on Twitter. Yeah. Catherine is here. Beer Ops on Twitter. <laughs> Jason Dixon, Office Security. And Pete Cheslock, at Pete Cheslock on Twitters. So you, Seth and Pete, have been trying to get me to go to Monotorama for uh, quite a while now, and I was kind of like... That's a monitoring comment. So monitoring is interesting, but it's just about the monitoring, and, and I'm not. That's and I was. Uh, I have to say, I was totally wrong. It's well, not, I'm it's, glad it's not just a monitoring conference. I like. Um, I like it when I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I and I, I think, especially like it when Paul's wrong. Yeah, that's actually more important. <laughs> you know, but I, I think that's important because uh, I think what it was, and Jason, you and I talked about this a little bit. Um, the fact that the name kind of implies that it's it's very monitoring heavy, mm-hmm. but that's not actually the case. And what I mean by that is there's lots of monitoring talks, but they talk about the standard automation, sharing culture, like CAMS kind of part of DevOps that we always end up talking about. And I don't even know, maybe the answer is I'm just dumb, but I, I just never kind of put that together. And so uh, it was just, you know, great to see that and be part of that. Yeah. Have you found that, how, have other topics sort of crept in over there? Because this, like, this is like the fourth, fourth. the fourth one, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I yeah, it's the fourth event. I, I think that theoretically, at least, a monitoring a strict monitoring conference uh, over even two days, much less three, it would just be too dry. I mean, I, I honestly, and, and I have my own selfish uh, reasons for doing so, but like really, this is the conference I kind of designed for myself. I've gotten burned out on other ones. You know, I, I don't like multi-track because of the excessive choice, and I just want something that is intellectually and emotionally appealing. It's just, it, it really gets me in there. It gets me involved in the event. Yeah, honestly, I love monitoring stuff, but you know, you look like yesterday, we had Chrissy Brodigan come on and talk about user experience testing. And I mean, I, I'm fortunate that I know her from, from my days at GitHub. If I hadn't, you know, the, who knows if she would ever you know, made it here. But I think that it, it brings in an interesting, you know, these kind of, and I hate to use cliches, but I'm going to keep throwing them out the rest of the recording. You know, it gets us thinking outside of a box, outside of our comfort zone. Right. And it's, it's absolutely related to monitoring, but not in a traditional sense. It's not operational data. It's human data. It brings in a whole new perspective that we don't really touch on a lot in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. 
I think that's what makes this conference so compelling because talking about technology, I mean, some people really get into that and love just nitty gritty technical, really deep dive talks. But I think that um, and, and there were talks with slides with math, and it was like, yeah, whoa, there was math. math. But I think that, I was you told know, there would be no math. <laughs> monitoring can't really exist in a vacuum if it's going to be effective. So I think getting into the culture and how we do it and why we do things the way that we do is like. For me, at least, it's more interesting. Also, no math to make my brain. <laughs> you have like you have a big you have a bunch of operations people generally. It's not everyone here is strictly operations. But you have a bunch of operations people who are all like learning together, and then you have that sharing. But it's also like, oh, that's something none of us thought of, and then we're all kind of like looking at each other and like we should do that thing. Yeah, and I, it's I think it's really nice. I think it, you know, at some level, at least, you know, this is just me hypothesizing, but I, I think it helps us connect, and I think that's important for us to maintain what I think is a safe place mm -hmm. um, for a lot of our attendees. I mean, yes, last year I really emphasized this idea of empathy based on my own bad experiences at other events. And I think it really connected, it resonated with a lot of people. And it's and I actually I actually blame myself for not making it more of a point this year. I don't think it's been an issue. I think I've gotten very good feedback from attendees, you know, saying they feel safe, that this has been a very warm, you know, warm and welcoming environment. As an organizer, I'm really proud of that. I'm really grateful that everybody's able to come out here and have a good time and, and feel safe and feel comfortable with other people. Yeah, you know, that that was uh, really a, an interesting part of it. I think, you know, we were talking about, uh, I guess this was Mary from uh, Chef, Mary Thangval, um, had asked, like, who's going to be there? And everybody, it started like a really long thread of people like, oh, I'm going to Tamanda Trauma, I'm going to write. That's one of the things that there is a very strong kind of community vibe as well. That's like the monotone community. Again, this I remember the the I guess it was last year, the year before you were talking mm -hmm. about. Uh, we were talking about this on the show. Um, you know, I'm going to Monorama, and there was like a bunch of energy, and everyone's like, "Are you coming?" And I'm like, "No." And again, it, it was it was me being stupid. But what was funny is that the people that talk about it throughout the year. It's a very, it's a community with an identity, and I now know what that's about because I can. And that's actually one thing, if, I think, if you watch the videos, is less apparent. You know, people always talk about the hallway track, right? That's yeah. very, that's very strong with this conference. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's the reason, like, I go to a lot of conferences now for work. Like, I spend a lot of time going to a lot of conferences that are just terrible, and I don't, I'm not going to name any names, but they're like, you go to, like, Big Mega Conf X, and you're like... Awesome! There are seven thousand tracks, and I have a badge that oh, I don't have, or I have like the badge that gets me into like the one <laughs> keynote or something, um, and I've dropped like lots and lots of money or something, and then I come to Monotorama because it's my you know my professional development, or or as I like to refer to it, it's like op spring break. <laughs> and we all like you know we, we whether we're, whether you're drinking or not, we're sitting there, or we're just some like monitoring thing that we've like had trouble with or just sharing war stories and it's you know everyone's hug friendly like it's just a very it's a very welcoming place so it's actually really funny i was at one of the vendor events last night you we had a, had a couple beers right and somebody said something that was like uh actually it was, it was greg it was greg Puri on twitter yeah. it was like you know he's like um i don't know shit and you don't know shit. i just want to work someplace where we cannot know together and it's supportive and, you know and and I think there are a lot you know a lot of people that uh, to the empathy point that are very you know it's not a very arrogant you don't see a lot of arrogance about well I did monitoring this way and I know all this math it's it's uh, very open and sharing and, and there's yeah. kind of this undercurrent of empathy even if you didn't make it 
a big thing, you can just kind of feel that that people aren't jerks. Yeah, about. The, the, this stuff like is that. hard. It's been like that since the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, I've been to yeah. all four of them, and the first monodrama in Boston <laughs> was like the first conference that I'd been to, and like I, I was, was just going on my own. I was a one-person ops team. No, nobody from my company was there with me. I didn't know anyone. I knew like two people. Like you and I had talked on Twitter. And that was it. And still, it was such a warm and welcoming conference. I didn't feel like anyone was talking down to me because I knew less than them. It was really a great experience, and it's just like gone up into the right. Yeah, people, and people like show like look at other like you're like, can you explain this to me? And then somebody like takes the time to like yeah. let me show, and you're like, I want to use this cool new thing, and you get it's it's really easy to get you know, after you've been doing it and you've been dealing with, like, burnout or any of those things to, like, get excited about things yeah. again. And, like, I always come out of Monodorama feeling excited about, like, I, just a heck of stuff. I was, you know, I was actually really happy to finally see, because I did a, we did, we plugged Riemann ages ago on mm-hmm. the show. Because mm-hmm. I, you know, Kyle had talked at, at Recon, and I was like, everyone should use Riemann. And then, like, to see him give the talk, I'm like, this is old, but I'm so glad that at the same time, like he's showing everyone like this awesome tool, and then you, people are like, "I'm going to go use that thing," and then everyone's talking about integrations with Riemann, and you're like, "Oh, everyone's like actually being good open source citizens. Like everyone has been talking about, oh, yeah, we're contributing to this, we're contributing to that, and so many other conferences. It's like, here's my product pitch, yeah. and there's been no, you know, other, you know, aside from the, the obvious like sponsors who are going to talk about their product." <laughs> No one's been like, buy my database or something. It's like, hey, look at this cool thing I did, or look at this cool data we had, or look at this, or, you know, especially the talks about empathy, or, you know, I loved uh, Laura's talk about, I was just like, preach it. I was just like, the whole time, like, holding it down. I was just like, and it's just like, she's like, let's play glass door bingo. And I'm like, I know these companies. Like, I, like, I don't even need to see the names. Um, well, so actually, I wanted to talk because there were a number of talks that weren't just about the technology uh, and monitoring. There were, and there were talks with, equations and math so you kind of got you know something for everyone but uh i i kept hearing a lot about uh laura's talk so let's talk a little so the, the title of her talk was engineering, engineering happiness engineering happiness which is actually kind of funny you can parse that a, a couple of different <laughs> yeah. ways yeah. Yeah. um yeah let's so uh laura works for mozilla engineering manager i believe yeah um, director of operations yeah, or something yeah, yeah. so you know has, has been you know overseeing a lot of stuff and she just aggregated she it was the right amount of experience of her own combined with bits of data here and there to kind of show how, like, noticing signs of burnout in people, noticing, I thought the great one was like, here's what depression looks like on a commit graph. Yeah. And you're like, you're, you're like, oh my God, that's, I've been there. I've, I've seen this. And then like, here's what happens when you become a manager. You go from engineer to being a manager. Yeah, you're like all green and then it's like white. <laughs> it's like, I committed at the release. You like change the readme or something right. or the change log. But she, she really hit a lot of, it was all of the things that I have encountered in like former employers with regard to burnout, with regard to you know dealing with depression, with dealing with just being happy, and then it was the why people leave. I think was really important. Mm-hmm. Like if you notice that a lot of people are leaving because of a manager, maybe you should do something about that manager and not just oh everyone's leaving because they're going to they're going off to do better things. It's like no, there's there's a reason and it's obvious and you're doing nothing about it. And she just kind of nailing points every every single every single like bullet was just like yes yes. Yes. Um. Yeah, I liked a lot of what she was saying because it seems to be, it was, it was t- talking about this at an organizational level, mm-hmm. whereas sometimes when we talk about burnout, we talk about what we can do as individuals, which obviously has to be part of it, but uh, there's a lot of organizational factors at play, and getting companies, getting managers to realize these things and talk about them 
is is going to do a lot, I think, because it's not on me as an individual to fix this entirely on my own. Yeah, I think the thing that's interesting when you start talking about burnout in a management context, there's a lot of like, we'll bring me the data. Sh- sh- you, we have to talk about it and... and because a lot of times at, at that higher level, that's what they want to see, the data, which is funny because like we're talking about that. data to like justify that your, your people are burning out. Right, right. So what's interesting about that, though, is Monitorama would be a perfect conference to talk about that because it's like, okay, we're into monitoring our systems and our servers and our you know, cloud instances, all this stuff. How do we actually monitor what our people are doing, not in a weird or Orwellian way, but in a making sure that they're happy and 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 healthy and and um, being productive and you know in, in a good place. Yeah, I, I like the idea of the. She mentioned some some tool that does uh, IRC integration because I think sometimes there's certainly been times when other people knew that I was getting burnt out before I realized it. And if the earlier we can detect these kind of things, the er, the sooner you know the hopefully we can you know, get them keep them from getting worse, get things back on the right track. We we track sleep data and how many times people get woken up during their on call shifts. Kind of that you know, like people monitoring. Yeah. You know, it, it's an opt in thing, so it, it, it's not it's only creepy if you want it to be. Um, but making sure that we're doing as much as we can to figure out how we can make lives better for those of us who do have to get woken up yeah, all the time. It is, it's really easy to get in a rut and get burned out. I think when she started talking about like the you know employee types of, and that was my favorite was she talked about, you know, she's like, you're, you know, if your employees are bored, if your employees are, you know, if you take somebody who's a prototyper, and that was my favorite, she's, she, she basically identified a bunch of people that I worked with. She's like, we have the prototypers and we have the finishers. Mm-hmm. I think she called them starters and finishers. But you have people who are like, crazy creative and I work with I've worked with a few of these at like the past years where they can just like whip up something and you're like how did you build this and they're like I did it in 48 hours in a hotel room type of thing and you're like this is amazing but then it's like they just like oh and here it's it's, it's out right. in the world and I'm not going to finish like, it well, got, and I, hang on hang on back up the truck we need to like you can't just YOLO things into production <laughs> hold up five minutes right. yeah I really liked her, her identifying these different personality types because this explains a lot about you know how I work and the conflicts that I've had with people that I've worked with before and what you understand is a different it's a different type and it's okay to have both yeah. and just knowing that how to hand off things and knowing to give those people that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, the other thing I think it's important to understand what type of company. A lot of companies have personalities that are the way their founders are, or whatever. And so the point is, is that when a company is very uh, smaller, you know, are they fit, you know starters or finishers, and how does that play itself? Because I've been I've been a finisher in a starter culture, and a lot of that is like, why are you? Nobody cares about that anymore. Like you know, what I mean, like why are you trying to finish that? And it's like I'm trying to make operationalize this so we can use it in production and they're like nobody cares about that right but and and to the point though and I think you see this you've seen this with like Facebook and Mozilla right as they've grown you get to a point where it's like well we have to run our systems like we have to hire some finishers to you know keep Mm -hmm. keep stuff running and so it's interesting to kind of think about it from that context right about how culture can change in a way that that is still good and, and how you you know whether you're a starter or finisher kind of play into that and, and having managers who are good who aren't just engineers who are good managers right who are and who are receptive to, to like receptive right. that idea right. and then also yeah pay attention right because you have a lot of times uh it was interesting because they were you know we're referring to somebody as a resource that's how you know you know hr is like you are a, you are a resource or like you say i need more resources for my team but then you you, you know people aren't 
they aren't interchangeable in this fashion. You can't take a starter and be like, hey, I'm going to need you to polish up and like fix all like, you know, the warnings and the linting and everything because they're going to just, they're going to be like, that's, that's boring work. I don't want to do that. And you're, they're going to either get burnt out or they're going to go somewhere else and do something exciting. Mm-hmm. Especially in this so market, easy, right? there's, there's so always going to be someone that's going to give them the challenges they want. It's either you or some other company, right? Yeah. So when she was making the Haskell point, she was like, and then you, you know, you have these people who just want to go off and write some Haskell. And like, you do have folks who just want to like do the cool stuff, write the list for the Haskell or whatever, <laughs> and like do like research. And if you take them, you're like, hey, I need you to finish out this release. That's, I mean, you're, you're underutilizing that employee and then you're going to also make them upset. You're going to like build frustration, anxiety, whatever it is, and you you can so easily avoid that if you just you know talk to them. I wish I had heard this talk like four or five years ago because I could have <laughs> saved myself so much stress and so much burnout. Because I, looking back, I'm a finisher, and I was at companies that were full of starters, and that was what high five for finishers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, especially in like the release engineering opera, you're usually the, you're like, oh god, this why isn't this polished? Why isn't this operationalized? Why well, I mean, I'm production? You can't do I'm that just, to me. I'm just thinking now. There's Send like, there. like, like, like a new a new show on TNT. The closer is just like a show about release engineering. Yeah. <laughs> I watched that. Yeah, yeah. I, would, um, I would watch the hell of it. I would. I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about Netflix. There were a number of Netflix talks. And Netflix drama. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it was funny because uh, Roy Rappaport said something about. How did he put it? It was like we're a monitoring platform that also streams movies. Like their yeah. cloud spend <laughs> for monitoring is more than the the you know their operational tier. So uh, there were a number of great talks that they talked about. What uh, what were your favorites? Kind of insights. I mean, there, uh, so Roy gave a talk about uh, operational insight in their op, um, insight platform, which I think it's interesting that they call it like it's a it's platform for business insight. Yeah. So right? Roy, Roy's talk was great. So I, I actually was lucky enough to see the talk with you, Paul, at uh, a conference out in Seattle. Um, so, and I was really excited when he said he was going to give it again here. So the talk was really great because it wasn't so much about the technology they were using and he never actually mentioned any of the technologies they were using. I mean, you know that they have like their open source like stuff that's powering it or whatever, but it was all about like, you know, they're looking for these anomalies and, you know, here's this line graph, here's these things. It's like, can you find this thing? Or here's this huge, ugly dashboard with like green and red, like what's the health of this canary test? And they're like, so we changed it. So we wanted it to be clear for our customers. And it was the way in which he kept saying it was all about how delivering this thing to our customers and the customers are not movie streamers. They're the people internally who are like, we did a deploy. Um, and so it's like 97% green. And then at one point, I don't, I don't know if it was at this conference or the other one, he had pointed out there was 4% canary failures and someone was, well, is that good or bad? He's, well, that's an interesting question because like, we don't really know the answer. Like there's, that's just one kind of tidbit that you can then kind of do. I I tweeted that, that I I think in his role, he's probably wondering like, is that a good, like that's a reasonable question. I think for most of us, the answer is the fact that you know, it's 4%, you already win. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because most organizations don't even know what that the curve is. Like way back here in the other room, yeah. you're way ahead of right. It. Right. You, you're in your, and that's what I love about the Netflix stuff is that they're thinking about and he's it's it's, it's become a change in my own like perception of like monitoring as well as just you know kind of operations. But why are why are we caring about? And this is a several talks talked about this where it was like focus on anomalies, focus on outliers, but also don't get wrapped up in monitoring everything. Right. Because there's so much shit, and I, I've been I've been seeing this with people when I've been helping them troubleshoot things, where they're like, well, I saw this, and there's also this problem. And it's like, 
you are making you're, you've drawn a correlation to things that may or may not be related, and you don't have enough data or insight to actually make that assertion. Well, he did this as part of the talk, which I love. Right, there was a small spreadsheet of like columns of data, and there one instance is like thousands, and every other one is you know one in ten, yeah. right, whatever. And it's like find the anomaly, and he did this with an audience member, and they're yeah. like, well, obviously, right. Yeah, and then he he shows like, he like <laughs> oh, and you're like, okay, find it now, right? And I think. We fall into that trap, I think, a lot of times when we're looking at a graph or whatever, yeah. because we just have a tendency to we're humans. We want right. a bucket and like right. right. But Our there, the detection is different. Right, from but, and there were a number of caring thing, like what you actually care about. Right, and there were a bunch of talks on anomaly detection. I think because that's like a, a hard problem. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, Jason, because um, monitorama. It's one of those things where it's like you think you know, like you know throw some Nagios on it and it's monitored, right? It's like. What I kind of like about this Sorry, is... Sorry, I'm going to have to walk out now. Yeah. <laughs> no, but so, well, that, that's the funny thing about this conference in particular. is like you kind of go down the rabbit hole. And to Seth's point about, you know, we often say monitor all things. And that's maybe not actually the right answer, right? Because it's not about just slapping, you know, monitoring on it to say it's monitored. Right? What are the lightning talks I think it's it? collecting all the things. Yeah. But um, not necessarily alerting. Yes. I mean, because we don't know what the context is. We don't know what, what may be interesting to us in the future. Uh, but we do we do know if we get a, if, you know, if something goes down and we don't have metrics for it, we have no perspective. Um, and that's that's probably the worst case scenario. Yeah. 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 It was very interesting. That, I, I think it was James Turnbull was saying, and, and I kind of paraphrased what he was saying, but he was like, to the point is like, uh, when it comes to monitoring techniques and technology and, and tools and stuff, that's not the advantage, right? It's ha- monitoring culture within your company, that's the advantage. And right. so companies that, you know, you should share this stuff and techniques and, and conferences like this because, you know, just the tools themselves without what you were saying, the insight, the context, and, and a culture like Netflix that cares about it, it, no, it doesn't matter, right? Well, it's I, funny. I really liked what, what James said about when you're monitoring, you think about the business outcomes and the business logic and what you ultimately care about, and then working backwards from there to figure out eventually what you know metrics you need to be monitoring, because I think too often we're like starting with the metrics and then trying to, to go forward from there, which doesn't always give us the best I outcome. don't care about the CPU load on web host X. I care about the fact that people can't get to the can't buy the thing. No. Like, yeah. if I, if, like if I'm running like guilt or whatever and I'm having a flash sale. Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's so funny, right? Because a lot of uh, the metrics when when they talk about it, and it seems weird when you first hear it. It's like we put a graph of new signups or you know money that we, we orders and and you know revenue, and it's not like memory usage on web host, right? And that's a very sort of subtle kind of cognitive hack, mm-hmm. but it's I think to that point about. None of this matters unless you have context yeah. and you're willing to sort of act on that. And it's funny. I'm I'm such a I'm I'm a big tools nerd, and I think you look back at Boston and like it was all about tools with yeah. with a couple exceptions, maybe like Laura Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as we go on, it's I, I think what we're really trying to do is identify these best practices and these patterns and and sniff out the the, the anti patterns because we do kind of have a lot of shared experiences, especially when you start looking. Within the context of like a composable monitoring system, you know, I think we've graduated beyond the monolithic stack of Nagios or, or whatever, and it's like because we all have completely different architectures. I mean, some of us have you know we're in the cloud, some of us are bare metal, um, you know, some of us are doing completely distributed systems like a Heroku. Yeah. But you can do all of these things if you understand the tools, you understand how all of us are using each one individually. So yeah, it's, it's a little understanding the primitives yes. right? and getting that like that foundational knowledge where people are telling you like they're like yeah you have to maybe learn a little bit of math but just a little bit like just so you understand like 
you know, you know, standard deviations, and you know, like like when Brendan Gregg was talking about like histograms, and I love when Brendan Gregg gets up and talks about these things because his, you know, if you read his book, which I'll totally plug, systems performance is the best, one of the best. Like, you don't actually know how computers work until you read that, and then you're like, and it's nothing new, it's nothing mind blowing. It's like you look at this and you follow this all the way through, and you can tell he's you know spent a lot of time in a kernel and like. It's people are like, well, I can do this with you know this service, and it does this, and it's, and they kind of forget that there's still a kernel underneath, and still disks, and still all these other things. And so it's having that language to talk about the primitives and the important things, so that we can build these composable systems. So one thing that I think has been interesting, and I'd be curious to hear the feedback from people who've been to all the monitoramas, is watching this like evolution of monitoring over these time periods. So like in the first monorama, you know, it was very tool-based and people were coming in and it was an interesting mix where there were some devs, but it was still a lot of operations people. And it was all about the tools and less about kind of like the consumption of those tools. Right. And I remember having a lot of conversations with people who were like, you know, what about the UIs for this? Like, when are we going to improve the UIs around whatever? How are we going to basically visualize this data? Like I have, you know, non-technical people that want to look at this data and do something with it. And then it was like the next monorama in the US at least was when it was like the it was so much around visualization, like because more and more developers were starting to get in and using it, and then we had like all those great workshops last year that were all around like the database stuff. Yeah, and we had um, a talk this and then year. This year, it's designer like, was like, "I'm here to help yeah. make make, yeah. it, make your data." And I feel like this year was a ton of like consumable. Is that you know, that, that's the stream particular topic stuff, that right? you, you bring that up about like Stephen uh, Bogue's talk. Yeah, that that particular topic is really important to me. Um, it's funny too because. I remember the last velocity, or one of the last velocities I was in like two or three years ago, I, you know, there were a couple talks that were really heavy on, on the UI and UX experience. Like, it's something that as an open source developer who really works with a lot of visualization tools, really resonates with me and it drives me nuts. What's wrong with Nantios? Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Dashboard. But like, you know, in terms of like <laughs> dashboards and stuff, I mean, we have engineering designing these things for other engineers and for other right, people right. without really understanding what UX is. And I mean, it's, it's easy to just say that we don't understand, but what are we really doing to make this better? And so, you know, I'm going to a couple talks that are supposed to be about this. They're not at all. And I just, I lost my shit so to speak, and I'm like tweeting, like, what, why is it so hard for us to have this conversation about UI and UX? And so I've been trying ever since then to get an actual designer in here to talk about this. Yeah. And, well, uh, well, I thought it was funny because as few people had mentioned, they were like, it's hard, to, you know, it's hard to find designers and UI and UX people. I think that's untrue. I don't think it's actually hard to find them. I think that we have a hard time going outside of our circles, and that's why I like Monroe, because it's like... They're scared, they're scared of us. They're, well, and, and <laughs> we're an angry bunch. And because we've been, the interactions have always been, you know, we just rage, table flipping, and everything like that, and we don't need to do that, and so I, for, I have a lot of friends at Mozilla who, you know, do just the complete opposite spectrum, so like UI, UX, and when I was in Austin, like a lot of JavaScript folks, and I spent a lot of time with them, and they exist, we just have to go talk to them and say, don't start right off with... I'm building this monitoring product because that's immediately they're like, right. you, you kind of describe the data problem and then you can actually, I would like to see more of these projects integrating. It's not that there are designers and UI and UX people that aren't participating in the open source space. It's just that we're, I don't think a lot of the tools that need the love are doing a good job of trying to recruit these people and then making it friendly for these people to contribute because everyone's got an opinion about UI and UX. And the problem is most of us have no formal training or experience with UI or UX, so yeah, our opinions are not the most yeah, valid. It's, it's fine. Just just rub some bootstrap on right, it. Just It'll be D3 fine. and everything's great. Like. <laughs> I wanted to talk about a couple of uh, talks uh, that were uh, went into sort of incident response. And isn't like well, after we've monitored the things and now we have some insight and then things go south, 
how do we handle that? There were a couple of talks. Kurt Michael and the people over at Stripe that yes. were presented on the game, day. game days. Yeah, and I, so I, yeah, again, that's like, now that we have the monitoring, like, what do we do with it? How do we handle that? And I, I really, really liked the Stripe talk because it was three engineers presenting it together, which is kind of weird, but it's like we do the game days together, so we obviously we would present it together. Right. Um, and, and, you know, the person who was, what were the roles? I, I just remember they pulled out the devil horns and the, you know, the halo, right? Yeah. And, and the was, lab coat. Yeah, and the lab coat. And I, but I, what I really liked about the way that they talked about doing game days is they talked about it as experiments, right? Yes. So it's, it is actually a little more, Jesse Robbins has to talk about going in and, like, unplugging cables and it's like it's not that chaotic when we do it we actually are testing a hypothesis and we learn weird things that we didn't expect but it's not just let's pull cables and see what it's, happens it was, yeah. the way they did it was far more science yeah. than yeah. It's, that's, like, that's, it's like I mean, that's what we do with our game days is we write up a list of here's our hypotheses here's the different little mini experiments that we're going to run and then it's very it, it is I mean sometimes there's chaos because sometimes our hypotheses are wrong and something <laughs> right. goes, goes sideways in a way that we didn't expect but I think you know, in order to do a successful game day, you have to know what you're trying to really yeah. figure out. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I think the, the, the thing about that talk, it'll be great recording to watch again, is they found this issue that if it had happened at like midnight or 2 a.m. would have been, you know, a much bigger issue than by doing it there right in the middle of the day with everyone basically around, mm -hmm. you know, killing their Redis cluster and realizing that like all these other things that happened that caused all the data to go away. Yeah. And if, you, if you're taking good notes during your game day, then you can really easily turn the results into run books. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which well, is and, and th there was that question about um, from the audience at the end of that presentation, how do you get the business to allow you to do this? And I love the answer. It's like, if if something goes that badly as the Redis cluster totally shitting itself, like that that is going, it's it's a latent failure in your system. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to happen. And would you rather have found out about it yeah. when people are around or when somebody's groggy like there's no data? In right. It's like, like you're you losing revenue as well. Right. Like, and you yeah. can tie that. One of my favorite things is, is actually two points. So one of my favorite things about working at when I was at Sony uh, or Sony Online specifically was that for every minute that the game was down. We actually had like so we had visualization that could show us money being lost. Did you just have a gif of money on fire? Just, yeah, just money. It's just like, and here's revenue that we are not realizing at this time, and we treated it as such. So even though you know it was you know some of the operations was very old school about how it worked, the focus was on the customer experience, which is which is really cool. I like I like this you know that focus, and so that kind of gave me the. It doesn't matter if I'm having this login authentication problem or whatever. It matters that people can't play the game right. and can't get the money. Um, and then to the game days, um, we did a really interesting one uh, at Chef where we did a we did an ease of use summit, and it was essentially here are the hypotheses. It's hard to do this with Windows and Chef and do this, and then we set up like a little lab with a router that forced people to use a proxy and everything. And we were like, let's see if these things that we think are supposed to work actually work. And we found everything out that we didn't actually expect to find. It was all the things, and then it's like here are actionable items. The best part is you had the CEO walk by and they like. That's important stuff. I actually really, I really like what you're doing. And we spent like a whole week doing this. And the stuff you can get out of those game, what do you call them, game days or whatever, and formalizing them, the, just the wins are huge because you spend time introspecting your own product or your yeah. own process or your own infrastructure. And you're like, oh God, there's, this is actually tied together with rubber bands. <laughs> right. But you can then document the rubber bands. That, right? I think that, that's what I really enjoyed about that talk in particular, is because you know we, we can do these things, but you, generally speaking, you learn these processes because something's failing. Right. Um, this is like the human corollary to the, the chaos monkey, right? Mm -hmm. We know how to use Netflix's software and deploy it and break our shit. 
but how do we actually respond? What's the right way to interact with other humans as these are going on? Right. I think that teaches a lot of valuable processes. Yeah. And it teaches us how to work. It teaches how to work with other humans. Because that was the best part, I think, about ours was I was working with people who were not in my immediate group and were from other disciplines. We had like, and that was the best part. Is we had people from marketing trying to run through these exercises. We we wanted to grab people like there was a uh, Nicole had just started at Chef, and we were like, sit in on this. And I don't know anything. It's like, no, that's perfect. We want <laughs> we want your your eyes on this, and we found all kinds of great little great little things, but they're all actionable outcomes. Yeah, and then you learn how to interact with these people yeah. who you've never worked with, which is also super important. Or having new people who have like just joined the team, just joined the company, even if they're on the you know engineering operations yeah. side of things, because we tend to accumulate all of this knowledge in our heads that isn't documented, and it's just like, oh, we know that, but it's not written down anywhere. Just set the environment variable. It's yeah. not obvious. Yeah. And you're not Why gonna you? yeah. you're not gonna remember to tell somebody until it becomes relevant. So then, when you're going through these game days with somebody who has a fresh set of eyes and a new right. perspective, they can point out these little things that have become so obvious and so ingrained for us that we forget that they're That was, that was the best part of, of my experience was that where uh, Nicole was the our new set of eyes. He was like, okay, you said this, you said this, he says, but where do I actually start? Like, where is, like, step one? Right. And I was like, oh, man, there is, <laughs> we have no step one. <laughs> step one is implied, and it's actually ten steps. Right. So well, now i got to write a document. Well, and I think that's the important thing about incident response that is starting to be more conscious. I mean, you know, firefighters and other people know this, but it's a skill, and you have to practice it. You know, it's like yeah. an instrument or any other pro, you know, writing a language, you know, a particular language. You have to practice that skill. And I think a lot of times when you do game days, what you'll find is that you either need to level up your skills or you might find someone on the team, and we've talked about this, that you just don't want them in charge of your incident response because... They're just not that good at, at working under pressure. They need to be the best automation engineer or the best ops engineer. But with, in a pressure situation, that's not right what they're good at, and that, that that's okay. You want to find you that just, out before the real pressure right, situation. Yeah. Right. I've I've been in those in those you know when everything's on fire, like right. we're losing you know this, we're losing this much money. Right. And then you have people who are like, we'll just ship this out. It's like, well, no, 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 we don't just circumvent <laughs> all the release processes because things are on fire. We have to. Like keep a calm head over this, right. and you yeah. don't want to find that out. And actually, it, it, you know, to the the point about that is, I think as you do this more often, that it kind of institutes that in the culture that like let's all not flail, like let's actually be deliberate about responding yes. about what the response is, and that's a organizational culture. One of one of the one of the cool things that we do is we have when you know an incident happens, like whether it's host or whatever, you have an incident commander, and it's basically oh you identified, it's now your baby. Right. Like, and if you know, if I'm at a conference or something, I notice that something's down. I will say, "Hey, I need to pass off incident commander duty." But it's that kind of. It doesn't matter who you are. It's just you've noticed it, and you have the bandwidth to then be the you know the commander of this incident. And all you do is you just sit there as a you know proxy for everyone. You you open up a channel in HipChat right. for the particular one, and then you just coordinate communication and just being able to have anybody know that they can do that and embracing that kind of as, as a cultural value. Right. Well, that and the, to that point, you know, the whole point about the incident commanders, there's somebody that, who's in charge that's doing the coordination. Right. And the culturally, and like, down. well, right, <laughs> and culturally, right, there's a thing where, where good organizations, like, I've seen organizations that aren't good at this, the VP of engineering comes in and takes over, and then everything goes to hell because the person who was doing the incident, who was doing the incident commander, has all of the stuff in their head about what's currently going right. on, right. and the organization actually backslides because the new person has to learn all that. When you have a leader who's like, no, they're managing it, I don't have to get in and, and met, you know mess with things. That's really, I think, powerful organization. Yeah, or also having, having somebody 
I've seen this happen where who is like dedicated, there's an incident command, but then there's also the incident communication. Right. Somebody to shield the people who are doing the work from the yeah. CEO who's coming up and is like, hey, hey, like what's going on? Is it fixed yet? Is it fixed yeah. yet? Is it fixed yet? <laughs> still like, Stop money? talking to me, I'm trying to fix it. Right. I actually got in trouble for that at one point because somebody came in who was like the director and who had no idea, no context. I'm, I'm the release engineer and ops person and I'm trying to fight the fire and I've got my headphones on to like let everyone know that I'm, I'm in the middle of this thing. GTFO. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and it comes in and I just was like, I really don't have time to explain to you from the ground up what's going on because things are on fire. Talk to this person, they're the, you know, they're the, they're the context and they're like, well that was very rude and it was, I mean I didn't need to be rude to them or curt at the same time. I don't have time to teach you how to build the universe while I'm in the middle of trying to rebuild the universe. <laughs> like it's, well, it's like, it, yeah, I think firefighters telling you to get away from the fire right. might not be the most polite when they do that. Right. But it's a fire. Right. Because there's a bad thing happening <laughs> yeah. and you should run away. Right. Yeah. But I think the, the game days, the other thing I think that has been really important for me is uh, establishing a common language. So there are words that mean things in specific organizations. And there are words that mean this, like when you say, well, this particular service that is this resource that is utilizing this. And when you have these game days, everyone gets on the same page, even if it's like the VP of Eng, who's usually not paying attention, they're part of the game, then they're like, oh, I didn't realize that you called this thing this. And establishing that common language makes it easier to then deal with failures and have incident commanders. And when you've, you, you kind of establish a baseline process or baseline language. And that also like just makes these easier to deal with because you when you say this word you know it means this thing so we're in the middle of the last day which is a hack day so we should all get back to hacking on fun monitoring stuff yeah but i wanted to ask um the videos are public for the talks correct they will be yes yeah, yeah we usually aim to get them out as soon as soon as possible um, so uh, I'll be with family tomorrow. Which uh, you very much should after <laughs> organizing a three-day conference. Family uh, are flying on Friday, so hopefully I'll start encoding them this weekend. Plan is to get them out on Vimeo by the beginning of next week. Okay, so probably actually when this podcast will come out, they'll be up and we can put a link in the show notes. That'll be perfect. Ideally, yes. Yeah, awesome, okay. Um, there's so many people with are like, hey, tell me when this talk hits. Right, well, yeah. it's funny, right, because there's like, there, part of it is like, if you were stupid like I was and weren't here, you can watch them online. And then it, for, I know some talks, I'm going to watch again, yeah. right, mm -hmm. uh, definitely, because it's one of those, like, the knowledge is literally coming out of my ears. It's bleeding out of my ears. My brain can't hold it. So there's definitely a number of talks I will be watching again. I wanted to ask for next Monotorama. Do you know any details? Do you uh, I can give overly vague details. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, is there such a thing as a vague detail? There will be a Zeppelin. Yeah. So we've... <laughs> we've Zeppelin. We have verbally and now uh, audibly committed to... Our, so the same thing. Um, <laughs> anyways, we have, we've committed to uh, taking Monotorama back to Europe. Um, I don't have specifics yet because I don't have a venue locked in yet, um, but that will happen this year. Um, you know, and, and there's a much larger conversation, and I think we'll touch on the closing today. But how do you scale this venue up and still maintain the same intimacy and the same kind of safe feeling and and just the same kind of level of quality of talk? Yeah. You know, I don't have an absolute answer yet. Um, but uh, to put it in, uh, you know, web operations terms, we've got to you know decide whether to scale it vertically or horizontally. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, so we're still looking into that. Cool. Well, and we're we're all looking forward to the next event. And and like I said, if you were one of the people that was not enlightened like I was for so long, now you know why you should be enlightened. <laughs> You're one of the, the converted next. now. I know. We brought you yeah. in. Monitoring love, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Jason. And Thank thanks so much for putting on a great event. My pleasure. Yay. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. And, and we'll be back in a moment.
Welcome back to The Ship Show. So for our last segment, we're gonna do a tool tip. Uh, EJ is gonna tell us about something he works uh, on at work that's open source called Convection. And I'm assuming that's like Convection as in oven, as in baking cloud infrastructure thingies? Yeah, I, I think that was sort of like the internal joke originally. It was a baking reference, but Convection is our tooling DSL, Ruby DSL on top of CloudFormation. And so it's more about setting up the cloud and delivering to the cloud. So we think convection, the error currents, I guess if you want to rewind, originally when we started about three years ago and we didn't know uh, whether our product was going to be any good or, and we had very little AWS experience, we spent a lot of time just clicking through the UI and that slowly evolved into shell scripting or Perl scripting. And then maybe at one point when AWS released the, the actual CLI, we embraced that for a little bit. Um, that all sort of evolved into CloudFormation for us. And uh, if you're not familiar with CloudFormation, it's Amazon's uh, templating mechanism that allows you to find what in RDS, MySQL instance, and DB option group, and like everything that makes up your AWS infrastructure effectively. Mm -hmm. um, but you define it in this JSON file. And CloudFormation does have limits. And there are ways around it where you can store your template file in S3 and you can get by it to some degree. But at the end of the day, it's still JSON. <laughs> it's still difficult to read. <laughs> and then you've got to make sure that you're linting that to, or, or uh, like making sure that you're not missing. Don't put that comma in the wrong place. Uh, that extra yeah, comment just at the so, end. so brutal. <laughs> Especially like if you're, if you're working on a, a project and it's late and you're just tired and you're like, I can't figure out where this is wrong. And it's anyway, so after all of that, we wanted to keep CloudFormation, we really liked how Amazon is sort of managing the convergence of that template for you. And you don't have to constantly inspect things. And we want to get rid of all those formatting errors. The template, again, like these can be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lines of JSON. We wanted to, how do we just collapse that the size of the template? And oh, and with CloudFormation, there's no like pre-run. It's just sort of, you've got your template and you've got your you know, get diff, and then it just runs. But there's no way to ask CloudFormation, like, what are you about to change in the system? Uh, and, and is there anything today that does any of this kind of stuff? And we looked at a, a bunch of different options. Uh, I mentioned Terraform IO. We looked at Terraform effectively. We looked at uh, Sparkle CF. We looked at a bunch of these things. And it was really difficult to get to the, the generic resources right. uh, without ripping your hair out. And so we made that part of a first class. You know, that was one of the number one things we tried to solve with convection. I was going to say, it's very interesting that you see this general trend, I think, on the tooling side, talking about um, like the Jenkins job DSL plugin, where stuff that we used to, you know, go to a web page and click a bunch of buttons and stuff. It's like there's this huge push and, you know, it totally makes sense, right? But uh, making DSLs for things that you can diff and code review and, you know, input and get the same fidelity as if you'd gone and clicked all the buttons, you know, on the on the web UI or the, you know, whatever UI yeah, you might have. You're like, you're like hovering over sort of like an overarching goal too, is to make sure that we have discussions before we have these you know, changes, right? Like right. be able to be able to roll this up, even in JSON, even though it's as difficult as it is to read, you can get this stuff in source control, even Jenkins DSL, all that kind of stuff in source control, have it reviewed, merge the pull request. And you know that like there have been a couple of eyes on it. It's not just this guy's going buck wild and all of a sudden it's like, what's Mongo doing up here? This is wrong. <laughs> like, you can have these kinds of discussions. And so we open source and release convection and it solved everything that we've talked to today or talked about so far, but also we have a lot of inter-stack inspections. So if you had, I don't know, some app that has all the AWS component tree, the security group, IAM role policy, bucket, all these kinds of things. And you're bringing up another app that needs to talk to that one. 
you can have it uh, inspect that other stack in ways that is aren't available today because uh, they're just Ruby objects. And if you don't put the output in your CloudFormation template, you'll just never see these values. Hmm, um, interesting. So it's uh, it's there. We'll link to uh, the GitHub page. And the README has a bunch of tons of examples and stuff. So you can kind of just look over that with links actually to the Amazon documentation too as well. So if you're like, how would I use this or how does this relate directly to the Amazon stuff? It's right there. Yeah, right there this, for you. this thing kind of came out of a, a discussion where it was a bunch of rage coding by a few of us <laughs> and, and made it happen. And then there was such adoption that some of the other guys in different teams, they wrote tools to go scrape the Amazon HTML to generate the raw convection templates that we actually use to do our deployments everywhere else. So there's that there was that much of adoption within Rapid7 and that rate of change at one point. I'm just saying, like every, everyone is using it here at Rapid7. Cool. Cool. So if you wanted, uh, if you take a look at this tool and find yourself wanting to work on it, uh, you had mentioned uh, yes. Rapid7's hiring. As always. As yeah. everyone is. Actually, I don't know. I We didn't I, we talk about this. I actually hung out with a couple of the Rapid7 guys at on Montreal. the last day of, at Monterey, yeah. Who were the guys? It was probably Andrew and John. Yep. Yeah, yep. John John is like the epicenter, the, the genesis of this thing. Oh, cool. started, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's funny that I, we didn't end up talking about this. We talked about a lot of other things, but uh, missed this one. So I'm glad you brought it up. Cool. Cool. Well, so upcoming conferences, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, DevOps Days Minneapolis is July 8th and 9th. Pittsburgh is August 13th and 14th. Uh, Chicago is August 25th and 26th. Also, some other conferences going on. Uh, Velocity New York in October. In fact, a bunch of conferences. Well, there's actually Agile 2015 is the first week of August. And then um, Puppet Conf is... Uh, first week of uh, October, October 5th, then Velocity's uh, the 12th and the 14th of October, and the DevOps Enterprise Summit is uh, the 19th and the 21st uh, through the 21st of October. And so if you are uh, in a uh, looking for DevOpsy conferences, uh, take a look at one of those. Looks like it's going to be a jam-packed August and uh, October. So uh, we'd like to give a special shout out to our sponsor, PagerDuty, for this episode. Um, check them out if you need to feed your alerting from your monitoring system into something. Check out PagerDuty. And uh, from San Francisco, this is Paul Reed signing off. From San Diego, this is Yusuf signing off. From Drake at Mass, this is EJ Sermel signing off. And we will see you all in a couple of weeks. We promise. Bye. Bye. Bye.